you know, a legend, but I mean, you really can't go wrong with, with Hugh Laurie. I mean, he's, he's an artist artist. So that's, I, I imagine that's, that's gotta be a, a pretty, a pretty fun watch. I, I, I think I'd watch anything that, that he has anything to do with. He's in it too. He plays one of the characters. Oh yeah. So he wrote it, he directed it, and he's in it. So oh, it's got to be good then. Yeah, so he's not the star. He, he, I mean, that would be a little much because he's directing it, but he plays one of the very important characters in in the show. I don't think he, I think he doesn't even come in until the second episode, but um, but he's it, he's just really so talented. I, I've always liked him. Um, I used to watch. Um, I mean, the first time I think I ever saw him was in Sense and Sensibility, and he was just a small character in that. But uh, he he had a series, and I can't remember what the name of it was. It was a comedy series. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. What's the name of it? It's very famous. It's a British uh, series of books, and I can't think of what. Um, but, yeah, I mean... And of course he did House. That was not one of my favorites, but I know a lot of friends who love that show. Yeah, that was a uh, definitely a darker, um, a darker take. But uh, I mean, he he's just he's so he has such a variety of uh, ways he can play. Like you don't even realize that he's uh, it's it's the same the same guy. You know, by the, the vast variety of characters that he can he can play. Oh, that's that. Uh, it was Jeeves and Wooster. It just was driving me crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the name of the series, the British TV series. Season. I used to have this argument with a, a work colleague who loved House, and uh, you know he used an American accent when he was doing that, and I kept uh-huh. telling her it's he's putting it on he's british no he isn't he's american she would not believe me and so i i my i worked with my father at that time and i said i told my dad i go can you talk to her maybe she'll believe you and he did he said you know uh he did he used uh, when my wife and i uh were younger we used to watch him in jeeves and wooster and sorry he's british no he is you know when she believed it (laughs) When he won his Emmy, and he talked like that, oh. <laughs> she had to apologize. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, she's like. Yeah, he also did that. Um, was it? Um, uh, was it uh, Fry and Laurie? Yeah. That was on the BBC. Yeah. Um, he did uh, Tomorrowland. That was a really good movie where he played the antagonist. Um, I really liked I really liked that one, and of course he's in 101 Dalmatians, uh, playing one of those classic uh, classic bad guys with kind of the comedic twist. He's just awesome. I just love everything he does. Me too. He's great. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, if you have BritBox, you've got to see it because it's just uh, exquisite, and he's adorable in it. Although he's playing, he's sort of playing a sinister character, but he's still adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he. What did he say when he was directing? He said, "I'm gonna when I'm directing, I'm wearing a tie just to show you I'm a professional." 
I thought it was adorable. He's really cute. Anyway, so that's that's one of the things. Another show that I'm really obsessed by is uh, Julia. It's about Julia Child and the beginning of her TV show. And it's, I I was like, okay, how different can this be from Julie and Julia the movie? It's very <laughs> different. <laughs> It's very different, and it has a sci-fi connection. The lady, really? yes, the lady who plays Julia was in Doctor Who, and I can't remember what the name of the character was, but she was the um, surrogate mother for all the little pieces of fat. The I, the little the little pieces of fat that came off people, and then they 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 look like little pillow babies. If you watch hmm. Doctor Who, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not up to speed with my uh, with my Doctor Who. I'm that's uh, I'm it's one of my sci-fi sins. But uh, I think you're talking about Sarah um, Sarah Lancaster Lancaster Lancaster. Yeah, yeah, but she, she was she's so good in this. She is, totally disappears into Julia. She's just wow, amazing. Yeah, that, I mean, that's <laughs> talking about playing a personality. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, even um, even um, Meryl Streep disappeared into Julia. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. I bet that that's a, I bet that is a great a great watch there because I mean, Julia Child, what a what a history, what a, in the culinary arts. And then that just that boisterous personality that oh how fun it's just it's unusual too because she's um basically it's sort of like a a writer who um self publishes uh she was uh, she wasn't a, she didn't self publish her her book but her t v series basically she produced it uh self she paid for it she self produced Oh, okay. Yeah, because they they couldn't they wouldn't do it. They she I mean this is a middle aged woman that was tall. She wasn't pretty. She had a high weird voice, and they just uh-huh. they wouldn't do it. So she goes, fine. I just know this is right for me, and I will pay for it. <laughs> and then she had to tell her husband. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she sort of it was. Um, self-produced before there was self-produced but then they started producing it because it was a huge hit right almost immediately uh they said they said that uh, the first show got 24 letters and no show i mean usually we get five um so (laughs) it wasn't like pbs was it wasn't pbs wasn't quite pbs yet in the 60s okay it was kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. And then, they were just... The personalities, um, Julia was one of the first. Um, real personality, the real popular personality that came through. People loved her. My mom watched her. That's how I I know I remember her from as a very little girl 
watching the black and white TV in my mom's kitchen while she was making one of her recipes. So I remember her from that. <laughs> yes, yes. The same, same with uh, my dad. My dad uh, had an appreciation for you know the golden age of television and radio, and I guess this would be more like the silver age. And uh, I remember him doing uh, <laughs> doing Julia Child impressions because um, my dad liked to uh, like to like to cook as well. And I just remember him uh, just doing doing the voice and making us making us all laugh. And I the, I remember Julia, and the other one I remembered was the Galloping Gourmet. Um, people probably don't know that anymore, but he was so funny. Uh, I I never cooked. I was I've never been. My brother's a chef, but I'm just never that type of. I I could bake, but I'm not a cook. But I loved watching these people because it was like theater. Um, <laughs> they were just entertaining. It, it's the same as it, it, and that was in the I'd say late 70s when I was a teenager. He was on. He actually um, he be. He, uh, Every dish he had had alcohol in it. Every dish oh. had some kind of alcohol, brandy, wine. Anyway, he became quite an alcoholic, so he actually left the show and then came back for dishes without alcohol. And he was still amusing and funny. He was still popular because he still had the same personality. Um, but... It, it didn't last as long. I mean, I think uh, the Galloping Gourmet lasted for like 15 years, and I think him when he came back under his real name, uh, it lasted for maybe four or five, which is much more normal for a PBS show. <laughs> yeah, it's still quite a quite a strong run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you imagine? I mean, he must have taken a, a nip out of every bottle he was using while he was cooking. <laughs> Of course. But I think it's interesting. I mean, for me, PBS, the PBS I remember are watching the British shows in the 70s, mysteries like um, uh, Marple and um, Partners in Crime with Tommy and Tuppence and stuff like that. And uh, in the 80s, watching Britcoms like Keeping Up Appearances, Are You Being Served, um, As Time Goes By, stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that's the PBS. And then, you know, the Masterpiece Theater and Mystery, um, which were separate. So they would have, like, Jane Austen and um, Charlotte Bronte or F. Scott Fitzgerald on Masterpiece Theater, and then for the mystery, they had had the, the ones I was mentioning, and they had Vincent Price being the host, which was just amazing. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. I I remember, um, you know, grow, growing up on the kids' classics of PBS, everything from, you know, Fred Rogers mm -hmm. to... You know Sesame Street to um, you know there's some Canadian programming that uh, that um, was kind of like a a little bit of a niche market. But as a kid, like those are the, the programs and the stories that you grew up with. One of my favorites of all time was a, a program called Ghost Rider, where uh, these kids kind of solve mysteries with the the aid of a, a ghost that they um, can only 
communicate by writing back and forth with. That's cool. Um, I like that. Yeah. That's a cool concept. Yeah, it's actually Samuel L. Jackson was was uh, played one of the parents on the show well before well before he was uh, famous in, in the movies we all know him from. Um, yes, yeah, PBS has such a rich a rich history and you know lives in our memories for. Wasn't for, he well, also in? He was in either Sesame Street or Electric Company. I can't remember which. That does sound familiar. Yeah. I don't remember which, but he was in one of those. Yeah, so I guess he moved on to that show a little later on, and then he became a movie star, and that was all left behind. <laughs> and now he does not do kids' programming anymore. No. <laughs> Actually, he is, he, if you follow him on Instagram, he's still proud of it. He talks about it, you know. He, he's, he, the work he did do for Sesame Street, I think it was Sesame Street, um, and and stuff like that. He puts up pictures every once in a while in tribute to it. So he, you know, I think uh, he's still proud of the work he did back then. <laughs> oh, how could you? How could you not be proud? I mean, that's that's what a what a career in multi-genre, uh, and then yeah, to do work in in such a influential market. You know, that's that that's a career that you can look at and look at it and say, you know, no regrets. I, I, I did it all, and I did it all well. Yeah. And, I mean, Sesame Street. I mean, I, I was brought up, everybody was brought up on Sesame Street. So, you know, okay. um, before that was a show. I don't know if that was a national show. Probably people never. I used to watch Captain Kangaroo. Oh, yeah. I love that show. And there was, yeah. an, there was another one with a sheriff, sheriff, sheriff John or something. Yeah, I remember all of them. When, when I was a little kid, I I was I was a television baby. I mean, I was I was I was always in front of the TV. <laughs> yeah. And my my father and mother uh, made sure we read too. So anything, my father and mother were very clever. Uh, anything we showed an interest in on TV, they would buy us books on it. <laughs> so they oh, that's had, awesome. so we had a they had a balance of kids who were sucked into television like everybody else of our generation, but also readers because they were readers. Um, so yeah, it ended up it worked. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I uh, I was fortunate to grow up in the era of the '90s, uh, the kind of stereotype for the time when parents didn't monitor what their kids read at all. So we, uh, and my experience has definitely coincided with that, where we'd go to the library and just get let loose in the library, and I just wander the halls, usually in the paranormal section or the sci-fi section, you know, with the trade paperbacks. And uh, just grab any Star Trek or Star Wars, sci-fi, um, you know, UFOs, ghosts, anything that I wanted. I just just absorbed it all in, and and uh, really my love of sci-fi started started there in the halls of the library. And they didn't they didn't care, you know, what I what I rented or checked out. So I leave the library with a handful of books, and you know, tear them up over the course of a couple of weeks, and then go back and and get some more. I mean, that's the the doorway to the imagination right there. So I, love, I think I was very lucky. I, I think that libraries are so unappreciated. There's so much in a library. 
it's 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 books. It's uh, you. Uh, well, nowadays you can get videos, old videos of old shows and stuff. But you can get books on anything. I remember going with my parents. We went at least once a week on Saturday. And we sp- all spent the morning wandering around the library. And get we were allowed, I think, five books or six books. I can't remember how many. And we would always check out the the to- all of them. And then um, I I would I would only read like four because I I'm one of those intense readers, and so uh, I give the books back and said, Dad, can you renew these two? Because I I haven't finished. Uh, <laughs> I haven't finished these. T- I uh, well, actually to be honest, I hadn't even started those two, and I wanted to read it. I mean, I think the first time I read Charlotte's Web, it was a library book, and then I loved it so much, and I kept re-getting it over and over again that my dad and mom bought it for me. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, I mean, my parents did monitor us. We, uh, It's not that they, st- we could read anything we wanted, um, but uh, because my dad had a, pretty good shelves at home too and so did my mom my mom had separate my mom and dad read different types of books my dad was a science fiction fan my mom was into like um movie biographies and things like that so uh my mom knew everything about every movie star and tv star we would see a movie, and she would say, "Oh, well, this the, she's married to him, and they, have, <laughs> and that's their daughter, and this is their aunt." And I mean, my mom was also the one who can always recognize everybody, even if they were older or not trying really hard not to be recognized. <laughs> she, she just had that knack. <laughs> uh huh. So, and my dad was a science fiction fan until, you know, he and he was always a science fiction fan, but until he would only read classic science fiction. So he would read the same books pretty much over and 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 over. I mean, they were great books. Eisenhoff, I can't talk. God, Asimov, Asimov, not Eisenhoff. I, I combine I combined his name Isaac Asimov, um, and um, and Bradbury and um, A. Van Vogt and really great books, but when he got to his sixties or seven no seventies, he got bored because he'd been reading the same books his whole life, and so my brother and I went into a bookstore. And desperately trying to find something that, because you know, it this was in the um, the nineties, and science fiction had taken a dark turn. It was it was always children and darkness, and it was it was it was really dark. And so we were trying to find something that wasn't dark. And, and although this was sort of dark, the one we found, but it wasn't as dark as other books. We we found Ender's Game, and he liked it. Oh yeah. So that's how uh, it, it's it, it's not as dark. It's not as um, horrible 
as some of the other books that that were going on at that time that you know basically end of the world stuff every single book uh, <laughs> apocalypse is everywhere you look um <laughs> And and he didn't want that. He you know he was he was still a, a, a hope for the future kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. Even at that age, you know, you know. And and we also I also got him to read mysteries. So that was my triumph. He he got into Agatha Christie because of me. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Yeah. 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 There's so much out there that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the industry goes through its uh, phases, if you will, where the the market gets oversaturated with, uh, you know, one type of story or setting or whatnot. But, um, you know, one of the nice things is, you know, the genre books don't go stale. You know, you can, you know, with the, the, the Witcher books, what came out in the 70s or 80s, and, and they're now making the a TV show about them, you know, these, the, the genre books are, are timeless and you can, you can find whatever type of story you want out there. So yeah, thankfully they're not all doom and gloom. You can, you just gotta, you gotta hunt around and find them, but you can find whatever type of story you like. Well, it's funny cause a stranger actually pointed it out to us because we were talking in one of, we were in the science fiction section and we're talking and I don't know, that one's another one. I can't, we got to find something positive because Dad won't read anything else. And this guy came over, hell, have you ever heard of this guy? <laughs> it was just random. That's how we found uh-huh. Ender's Game. He goes, have you ever heard of this guy? It's a really good book. It's not doom and gloom. You know, and that's how, it's stranger being nice. That's how we found it for my dad. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of like, Go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, it's kind of like a coming of age chosen one type of uh, type of tale. Yeah. Um, I, you're a big reader. How did you become a writer? Um, were you a writer as a child? Uh yeah, yeah. I'd say pretty early on. I so in one of those trips to the library, I found the Star Trek Strange New Worlds anthology. I love and, that. Uh, oh. Sorry, it's a great book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, so for those who aren't familiar, uh, a collection of short stories written by fans <clears throat> is what it was and um, in the Star Trek universe. And as a kid reading this uh, this book and then at the end of it realizing it's a contest, you can – you know, someone like me can write these stories and send it off and maybe get published somewhere. Um, and just being a total Star Trek fanatic, I, uh, I'm like, well, okay, you know, may- maybe I'll start doing that. So I started writing writing Star Trek stories and sending them off. And, of course, I was a little kid, so all the stories were awful and and, and just, just terrible. But, uh, you know, it was just the prospect and the that spark of hope of being being able to – you know, someone like me can be a writer. And so, yeah, I just sent them off and started learning about manuscript formatting and uh, the elements of storytelling and, and just kind of snowballed. And uh, probably about, uh, let's see, maybe about four years ago or so, I kind of started getting serious about, okay, you know, what directions do I need to go to kind of make this hobby a profession? And 
and and that's how I got to to where I am today. So yeah, it's been a lifelong endeavor, kind of transforming from a hobby into uh, into aiming for a profession. That's great. Um, and congratulations for uh, Writers of the Future, and I understand you just got back. How exciting was it? Oh man, that was just the experience of a lifetime. Um, got to spend a week learning from, you know, household names of sci-fi and fantasy, where they would just share their knowledge and their experience of, of publishing and storytelling, and then at the uh, end of the week, there was a an awards gala where, um, you know, we got to dress up in tuxedos and, you know, walk a, a red carpet press line and and um, there in Hollywood and and then um, you know find out who won the the big major award. Um, so everyone in this in this book, uh, Writers of the Future. Uh, got published in in the volume and as a uh, reward for you know being in the top twelve out of thousands of entries per year is basically them saying you know we see the potential in you to make it in the industry as a as a published writer and so we want to help you take it to the next level so that's why they fly fly us out for the workshop part and then. The grand prizes, you know, the the best, the best of those twelve. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be selected as the the golden pen recipient for volume thirty eight, which was just completely surreal. Um, I'm I'm still not sure that's quite set in yet, um, but just to, to oh my gosh, you got to check out volume thirty eight. The the stories in it are just phenomenal, such a wide variety and just high quality stories. And probably one of the coolest things was getting to sit in the same room with my, you know, fellow writers, just, you know, people like me who love to write stories and then get to match up the names and faces with the stories that I had already read. And, and, uh, I just, yeah, just what an incredible experience. It was, it was really a dream come true. That's great. And how did you like the um, the teachers in the class? I mean, um, uh, who did you get during this one? That was very bizarre and surreal as well. So the main um, the main instructors were Tim Powers and Jody Lynn Nye, um, and then about halfway through, some of some more instructors came through. People like uh, Dean Wesley Smith, Kevin J. Sawyer. Um, I mean, you know, household names in the in, in the industry. Um, and yeah, they just basically shared shared their their knowledge and experience. I mean, it was like a master's class on writing speculative fiction and how to. Uh, start in the industry it was it, it's crazy it, it's absolutely crazy because this contest is free to enter you know for the workshop they fly you out they pay for your flight they play for, pay for your hotel um it's absolutely insane that's that great. an opportunity like this exists that's that's great and what's the name of the story you wrote 
So my story is uh, called Gallows, and uh, it is about uh, basically uh, a bartender with a vendetta against the future has to determine if his customer is a time-traveling tourist that uh, the FBI is looking for. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, were you impressed by the person who won Illustrator that um, illustrated your story? Oh, by far, by far. His name is uh, Nick Jisba. And, of course, we, we didn't... Uh, we didn't meet or know each other until the big art reveal, which was several days into the workshop. And uh, so that was just a fantastic moment where we they basically bring us all into the same room and all the artwork is standing up in the room and you have to walk through the room and try to figure out which one is yours. Well, mine was very easy to figure out because uh, it features um, the protagonist wearing an FBI jacket. So I said, oh, I, I think this one's mine. And, and so Nick came over, and, and I was just speechless, and we were talking you know, talking about how he came up with the concept. And so Nick is actually, um, he's, he's very talented at leveraging um, atmospheres and environments in, in, in his artwork, uh, landscapes. And so that's exactly what he did for this one. You know, he incorporated several pieces of the story, such as a, a building that's featured and um, one of the characters and the protagonist, but to really emphasize the feeling and the tension of the conflict in the plot, he drew these beautiful storm clouds and lightning and rain and this wide spectrum of color so that you don't even have to know what's going on in the story, but you feel that there's conflict and tension just by how he, he leveraged the uh, the weather elements. It was just genius. It was, it was really, really fun to, to meet him and pick his brain and, and learn about his artwork. Cool. That's wonderful. And um, could you, um, I know you said you're in Volume 38, but could you tell the whole title and end with Volume 38 so people will know where to what to look for when they go to the library or bookstore? Yes, yes. The book is called L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, Volume 38, and my story in it is called Gallows. Um, congratulations for that. Do you have any um, books or stories that are you're allowed to talk about that are coming up that uh, you'd like to give a little, little tidbit to the audience? You know, I do not. This was my very first publication. Um, I, I had a professional goal that I wasn't going to do anything else until I landed this co this contest because this contest is specifically designed for new emerging writers. And so I said, I don't want to do anything professional until I can make it to this workshop. Um, so I made it. I went there. I've uh, I achieved the first professional goals. So now my second professional goal is to now start shopping um, a good handful of other short stories that I have. Um, you know, I'm shopping those out to the uh, the professional markets, the magazine markets, and then I'm starting um, two novel concepts that I've been uh, developing over the last six months or so. And you know, we'll we'll see what happens with those. Okay, that's great. Um, do you have a website? I do. Um, 
it's desmondastaire.com. And then you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at Desmond Astaire. Great. Um, I'm sorry we've come to the end. I want to thank you very much for taking time out of the day for being on my show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>